Good afternoon. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Today we are speaking with uh, Tom Stern, a chief executive at Options Express, as well as Ruby Cooley, an executive vice president at Options Express. We're, for the most part, talking about their international expansion. Uh, if you'd like to see that as a transcript of this interview, you'll find it at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. So, Tom and Rumi, uh, first of all, I saw that you are active in Canada, Australia, Europe, and Singapore. I'm just curious, which market did you enter when and how and why? Basically, Actions Express was founded in the year 2000 and took its first customer in 2001. And by the end of 2001, we were beginning to get noticed by the investing public as well as uh, a lot of the periodicals and, and uh, news people. Uh, in 2002, uh, we were cited by Barron's as um, the best online firm uh, the first time, and then we won it four years in a row, which was unprecedented for anyone to uh, win it more than one time in a row. And at the end of 2003, um, we were getting more and more inquiries uh, from international locations uh, as well as from registered representatives and uh, investment advisors, seeing how they could in some way become associated with Options Express so that they could electronically empower uh, their customers uh, in the same way that we were offering it to the retail investing public. Um, those communications that we were getting uh, and contacts from uh, abroad uh, led us to begin to uh, increase the amount of international clients that we would take. Uh, we did no solicitation whatsoever. They simply found us from banners and other uh, types of search on the Internet. Um, in 2004, uh, Canada determined that this was uh, something that they wanted to know more about, and so uh, it was decided that we would create a Canadian registered company uh, that would, in fact, service Canadian residents, uh, but still offer the same thing that Options Express, Inc., the U.S. company, uh, was famous for, which were stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and equity options uh, on the United States market. Uh, so we created Options Express Canada to, in fact, uh, cater to and service uh, Canadian residents. Um, that led us to uh, also get uh, some publicity in Australia, uh, and with Australia came another uh, basic uh, decision, which was whether or not we needed to be a registered company in order to cater to Australian resident clients, uh, it was determined that we really did, and so we created something called Options Express Australia uh, in 2004-2005 and uh, serviced the Australian residents in that way, and then eventually it was determined that we should do this in Singapore because we had had a, a lot of uh, interest coming out of Singapore, Asia that area of Malaysia and Indonesia. 
and then eventually the European Union uh, with uh, a number of clients in the United Kingdom and in uh, the Netherlands and France and uh, some of the other EU countries led us to create something called Options Express Europe, uh, which is registered in all of the European Union countries. So it really started at the end of 2003, and by the time that uh, 2006 was over, we had four registered companies uh, with all of the major jurisdictions. Okay. Well, now, it sounds like being a registered company is important. What does that mean? In other words, I saw that it looks like you have physical addresses in each place, a local telephone number, so on and so on. But what does it mean to be a registered company in each of these locations? Simply, um, with the brokerage firms, some jurisdictions require that you register with their local securities regulator. So the equivalent here in the U.S. would be the SEC and FINRA, and so in other jurisdictions, for instance, in Singapore, it's the NAS, in Canada, it's uh, IROC, which was the IDA, in Europe, at least in Amsterdam, it is uh, the AFM, and so some jurisdictions require that you, you register with their regulatory structure and become a member there, and in order to be able to accept accounts. Uh, some require that if you want to solicit accounts, it varies by jurisdiction. And so based on our presence and, and where we were and the things that we were doing, we had to look at the various jurisdictions and the, the legal and rule requirements to figure out whether or not we needed to be registered there based on our model. Okay. Um, now, essentially, you do online trading. And in some ways, that's different from the traditional way it's been done go to your broker, he gives you advice, you buy some of the stocks, options, and so on, he, he advises. How do you encourage trust with your international customers? Just because I have the feeling it's a bit more of a jump for them to feel comfortable investing online. Because here in America, we're more technologically progressive. Is that an issue? And, and what do you do to make people feel safe and secure executing their trades on the web? So, multi-part question. Um, we, we do a, we do a various things in order to make customers feel comfortable. Um, one of those things, obviously, is that we've got, for instance, in the U.S., we've got our toll-free numbers, and, and a customer can call and speak to a live person at any point in time during the market hours to be able to place a trade. We don't charge anything extra for that. So we actually do a lot of hand-holding. Um, and service for the customers, and we pride ourselves on our customer service. Um, in addition to that, we've got something that we use that's called Live Help, which allows the customer at any point, while they're logged into the account, or even when they're not logged into an account, for instance, a prospective applicant, to click on a button and, and chat with someone live that's a representative of Options Express. Also, in the foreign offices, we've got numbers for customers to call and speak to those offices with the exception of Canada. But we've got uh, numbers for Singapore, Australia, and Europe for the customers to call, and obviously they can also visit those offices as well. As a matter of fact, in some of those offices we're doing kind of on-site educational demonstrations and things like that. So, so we, we do try to 
create a rapport with the customer because we do realize that it's different than the, say, the traditional route where there was a broker that was recommending or soliciting trades and, and you have that more personal relationship. That model, I think, works the best. I shouldn't say it works the best, but it's probably the most mature here in the States. And that may be because of, uh, you know, broadband penetration, the the kind of pioneer online brokerage firms that, that started here in the States. So it's a lot of things that go into the mix as to why it's, it's most mature here. However, uh, we see that evolution going on around the world, and, and slowly you see more and more firms coming online, and you, and you see a lot of dual models of uh, half kind of bricks and mortar and, and then half online. So, uh, in addition, we've got we've got a certain things that we kind of do proactive, um, say kind of outreach. Um, where we are, for instance, we'll send uh, customers emails in regards to online security. We've got an online security page that discusses security, those types of things for customers that may be concerned in that respect. Uh, and, and then we've, we've, we've set up some other kind of security precautions. For instance, we've got an additional level of security on deposits and withdrawals, or, or I should say withdrawals, where uh, there's a, a pin set up similar to the, the pin that you have for your online bank card. So, so there are a number of things that we do. We've, we've also got automated messages based on certain activity within the account that may result in a phone call to a customer just to confirm certain things. And so we, we definitely take that very serious. Um, and, but for the most part, I would say that most customers are, are at ease with us. We are a public company. They they can find information, plenty of information online in regards to us. And, and so I think that we've got the credentials, the the history uh, that that puts most customers at ease if they're concerned about doing business with a brother charm that doesn't have the same kind of physical presence as say the traditional model. I think it's important here that Options Express basically uh, followed along with the concept of offering its clients a safe haven before the concept of safe haven was one of the buzzwords, which is what we've seen in the last year. Um, we built Options Express uh, going back to the beginning on what we call three E's, which is education, provide as much online information about different types of trades, different types of uh, investments, so that a customer can become more informed and make uh, better decisions in what he's going to trade in and what he's going to invest in. Uh, evaluation, give them tools so that once they've learned something, they have the tools at their disposal to be able to make those decisions. And finally, execution, the 30, which in fact would be low cost and give it to them uh, with what Options Express is really based on, and that is to give public the same edge that the professional trader had on the floors in the 90s and 80s and 70s, uh, which we've tried to bring to them ever since we've been in existence uh, in 2000 and 2001. But the safe haven concept is truly important to us because we offer customers what they call NBBO, which is National Best Bid, Best Offer. Uh, they, we sacrifice 
anything that would reward us option to trust the company to give the customer the best bid or the best offer if he's a seller on the bid or he's uh, a buyer on the offer. The second thing is that uh, we do not do any proprietary trading of any kind. Therefore, uh, if you have an account in Options Express, you, in fact, um, are simply being uh, ex- getting your order executed. We act as agent and, and nothing more, and we get the best uh, execution for the customer and protect the customer. And third, we, because we don't do any uh, proprietary trading, there really isn't any counterparty risk. So we didn't have to worry about the the asset-backed situations or the subprime stuff. Uh, We didn't have to worry about uh, any of the the, the, uh, swaps or that type of thing because we don't do any trades in that and we don't offer that product even to our our customers. Um, As a a supplement to what Rudy said, um, we also... Uh, offer the security of uh, a secured socket layering within our uh, site so that the customer's information is protected. Um, even a representative of Options Express or an employee can't see a password uh, in a customer's account. Um, and if a customer would like to go to the next level of security, we offer something called an RSA key, which in fact gives them the ability to log in with this uh, number that's constantly changing every 30 seconds to uh, be able to give them another layer of security. So this is really how not only to the domestic client but also to the international client we've tried to gain his trust. And uh, you already talked a little bit about uh, registration in different countries. Are there any other particular regulatory hurdles that you had to overcome in entering different markets? I think the the concept of hurdles really comes from the requirements uh, in each um, jurisdiction are always different. Uh, Some places require what they call four I's, which means two managing directors who have a physical presence on the ground wherever it is that you're being registered. Um, other places don't have that requirement, but they... So is, in which country do they require these four eyes? Uh, in uh, Australia, Singapore, and in Europe. Uh-huh. Okay. But Canada, Canada does not, right. Okay. Um, then there are different types of uh, product restriction uh, in different countries. Uh, the margin requirement for an option spread in Canada is different than an options requirement for a spread in the United States. And the product... Correct. And the products being offered in Canada uh, are different than in the United States. Mutual funds individually have to be registered with the uh, regulatory authorities. And most United States mutual funds are not so that you can't offer uh, mutual funds in Canada. Uh, You can't offer certain bonds and CDs in Europe, and it may vary by country by country. So you have to be very much aware of each country, whether you're registered there or not, you have to be aware of their securities laws. Well, in some places, where the regulations are provincial, it goes to federal, too, depending on where you go. Okay. Um, and I guess in thinking of the products that you provide to your customer, the products you work with for your customer, 
Which are the most popular worldwide? Stocks, options, futures? Does it differ by geography at all? I would say that obviously our niche is uh, derivative products. And so we started with options and then we subsequently added futures, although we do the, the gamut, the range of products, stocks, options, mutual funds, bonds, uh, futures. Uh, so in the, the, the most popular definitely would be options. And, and then futures has been kind of growing at a, a wildfire kind of uh, pace. And so it's something that's new to our product offering, but it fits along and complements the, the option traders and that appetite as, as another derivative product. And so... Can you get a little bit more specific on a country-by-country basis? In other words, you know, does Canada like futures more than other places or, you know, Europe, Europe like options? I, I think, well, it's, it's difficult because it's, it may come down to country by country. And so within Europe, for instance, Amsterdam is very big on options trading, but that's options really within their local market, not options, say, in the U.S. Um, in Europe uh, as a whole, futures are a very um, popular product. And, Canada futures are popular. Uh, Singapore futures are popular. I mean, these products are generally popular worldwide. Obviously, there's variation to the, the product mix in regards to how people trade them. Um, I, I'm not certain, actually, if um, that's something that we can disclose. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned one of your principles is education. And education, in a lot of ways, is a very culturally biased kind of thing. Do you offer education in all of your different markets in which you work? And do you change your education at all when you go to different places? We definitely offer education in, in all the markets. So it's a core offering of Options Express education. Uh, one of the reasons is because we believe that that it, it makes for a better user experience overall. The customers that are more educated are going to last longer in the kind of life cycle of, of a customer account. And so it, ultimately that's more beneficial to us and we want a good relationship with the customers. And so we do a number of things on the education front. Um, we've got a very aggressive schedule of webinars that we do live. Uh, and, and they're interactive where any of our customers can connect via the, the Internet and ask questions back and forth with the uh, presenter. We also have archived recordings webinars as well. Right, but we will actually customize and, and, and localize it to that area where we're doing it on their time schedule and time zone as well. Obviously, we've got the most that are coming in the U.S., but, but we're doing them on uh, international time zone um, uh, time spots as well. In addition to that, we've got a, a new education hub, which I, I think is spectacular. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see it, but it is a course-based study that now we're offering. And so it will, it's generally broken up by product, and from there, it's, there's a uh, novice, intermediate, and advanced level. At the end of each one of those modules, there's a quiz, and it's graded. And so it, it's just really kind of a tremendous educational offering. 
and then we also do a lot of of live uh, kind of presentations as well. So in the states, we fly around to to kind of different states and different big mass cities. Um, internationally, it's less frequent because of the the travel and, and logistics involved in, in in doing that. However, we generally will partner with one of the trade shows and have our educators go to the trade shows to be able to give presentations either at a booth or in a separate breakout seminar. And then sometimes we organize our own seminars that we do the same thing where we'll invite prospective customers, we'll invite our current customers, and, and we'll give it, it's a very kind of, again, more on the, uh, I, I want to make a difference between what we do versus what some of the commercial educators do. Ours is more of the kind of course space very content-heavy, uh, very educational um, uh, offering versus some of the things that the, the commercial educators do. Well, I assume maybe more practical as opposed to theoretical, but you get in, uh, that's what I would like And if I were to supplement what Rumi is saying, um, and that is that the, under, the underlying philosophy in all of this is that it doesn't matter what you're trading, from an education standpoint, we're trying to teach risk management. We're trying to teach uh, derivatives as a mainstream investment as opposed to something that may be viewed as gambling by a lot of different people. Um, and from, from that standpoint, the ability to hedge yourself, the ability to uh, give you some sort of a return on an investment without taking uh, a tremendous amount of risk is important to anybody, especially in the last year's worth of market. And uh, these are the things that will hit not only in our educational events, but also in our webinars. Um, perfect counsel. So we'll let. Here we answer the next question. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought you offer a number of tools. And I'm just wondering if the tools or the usage of your tools change from country to country now. And it's pretty much the same everywhere you go. The usage of the tools, I would say, the the change is a lot deeper than geographic. It's really on a kind of a personal level. It's it's the user itself and the strategies that the user wants to employ. And so you may have option traders that generally choose a certain kind of range of tools versus what the futures traders do versus what the stock traders do. And so it really depends. But the usage is all over the, all over the map. Uh-huh. And so, again, there's really no way to simplify, you know, certain tools are more popular in Canada versus Australia or Singapore. No. Fortunately, no. I guess I can't squeeze it out of it. Um, now, we also mentioned that you have local phone numbers in each market. But from your website, it also looks like you offer a lot of your service from the U.S. for your international customers. So I guess my general question is, how do you offer customer service for your international customers? Well, we, it's, it's through leveraging uh, what we have currently in existence here in the U.S. in addition to supplementing it with what we have in the foreign offices. So our foreign offices are definitely doing customer service. The reps in those foreign offices are picking up the phones, answering the customer questions and everything else. We have the benefit of having those several offices that can also do backup for each other. And so in off hours, we can still promptly answer questions and, and assist users with whatever inquiries they have. So 
I would say that, you know, depending on the, the issue, depending on what needs to be done, most of the things are going to that front-end side in the local jurisdiction as far as being resolved. Some of those things will flow back to the, to the states for assistance um, in helping them as well. Gotcha. Um, now, and in terms of looking at the products that you offer, um, it looks like there are two things that you offer in the United States that I didn't see in some of your other international locations. In other words, personal coaching and electronic deposits. In other words, through the, the automated clearinghouse. Are you going to be offering those in foreign locations in the future? So personal coaching is one of the things in which we were kind of alluding to earlier in regards to the, the regulatory requirements per jurisdiction. And so all jurisdictions won't allow us to do some of, of those types of, of campaigns. Maybe they need to be licensed specifically there. Maybe that's just not allowed. It, it's, it just runs the gamut of reasons as to why it may not work in a foreign jurisdiction versus it working here in the state. So in other words, the Series 7 license requires is one of those places. Well, well Series 7, right, or the equivalent, exactly. Uh, in regards to... What was the other question? I'm sorry. Well, automated clearinghouse. So the automated clearinghouse, although that that network is, is similar, ACH automated clearinghouse is really um, more U.S. specific. For instance, in in Europe, you have um, direct credits, direct debits, and backs. And so in Europe, we actually use backs, uh, which is is an equivalent of a uh, ACH customer can log into the bank account, put in instructions to transfer funds from their bank to Options Express electronically. So it works very similar to ACH, clears in the same kind of time frame and everything. You can take it out of your trading account, but you can't put it in. So what we did was we set ourselves up as a bill payer in Canada so that a customer, as though he's paying the bill, can transfer into his brokerage account. So that's how they get it in if they want to do it electronically. But you have to look at the little nuances for the different places because every jurisdiction is different. Um, for instance, um, checks and clearing. We have our wonderful Check 21 system here in the United States for how quickly a check will clear within, I think it's now uh, 24 hours, uh, between 24 and 36 hours on Check 21. Well, it takes five days in Australia. It takes three days. What, right. But if they do, you know, everyone has to be, you have to be aware of the differences in the way that things work. Okay. Um, and I also saw that you serve retail versus institutional. Does the mix between those two change when you go from place to place? What do you mean exactly by the mix? Just if we have more institutional business in some jurisdictions than others, by far we have more retail business overall, and that's what we started off offering. The institutional, the institutional um, uh, information that you found probably on our website is something that's that's fairly new. Although we may have had some institutional relationships before, we've now. Um, really formalized that and created an entire department around recruiting more institutional business and servicing that side of the business. And so we are we are doing that across the world um, where we are recruiting 
institutional business internationally and here domestically, but it is, uh, as far as a, a true concentrated and focused campaign of recruiting those types of accounts, that is, is something that is a little bit more recent. So retail business is by far the, the greater share. Okay. Um, and also, took a look at each of your international websites, and they all look remarkably similar, which is great from a branding perspective, but on the other hand, um, you know, I'm just not sure if you're, you're addressing local differences. So I guess my question is, what changes on each website when you go from country to country? In other words, options express .ca versus .au, .sg, and it is, and .nl. And those are the probably some of the the biggest differences that you'll see between the sites are the URLs, the .com, .sg, or the .eu. But you'll also see some differences in the disclosure language and the legal language at the bottom of the page, just referring to the <laughs> referring to referring to the various regulators um, for those firms. In general, we we try to keep it consistent uh, and, and keep that level of consistency across the the firms. However, localization is something that we've, we've been looking at, and we know that obviously we, we stand to get some greater penetration with localizing to those markets. And so that's, that's definitely something that, that we're kind of going through the process now of evaluating and figuring out what we want to change and what we want to make different versus the U.S. side. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I guess, you know, to your website again, um, and this is just a minor point, but I bring it up anyway. It looks like your foreign markets are identified on your homepage in the lower right-hand corner. And there are a lot of other companies who have it higher up, so it's on the first page that you see. Is that an indicator of the emphasis or the focus on international markets, or is there any thought to changing that? Just because if I'm a Brit or an Aussie or a Canuck, i got to scroll all the way down to find the... Uh, you're, you're, talk, you're simply talking about the, the actual URL? Yeah, the little well, Right, and, and now some companies will put that kind of really front and center. Some companies may even force you to choose um, upon coming, which I find somewhat offensive. I hate having to do that. One of the things that we've done, I think, that helps to balance that is that we've, we've got a, a, um, an optimized Google search, just an optimized search campaign that, all around, and so those sites rank generally fairly heavily on their respective foreign market search. And so, obviously, someone searching for Options Express in the EU will come up against the Options Express.eu site and not generally have a need to go to optionsexpress.com and then find whatever the site is. We've also tried to make our website as far as possible so that it doesn't matter where you come in from. When you create an account and you select whatever country that you're from, underneath, we're pushing you to the right firm. Same thing with when you log in. We're putting you to the right firm based on the login wherever you come in to our site. We just for for American expat in London, Frankfurt, whatever they still go to European
and the same gas with the technology that was behind us within the European companies and on the European side. Everything's controlled by the country of residence. Sure. Okay. Um, now, I also noticed on your website, and this is even in this one more thing, just to say, the reason that the, the flags for the specific companies are so low down mm-hmm. is a real estate issue. We had them way up on top. Oh, really? And they looked at the traffic for that part of the information on the site, which was below it, mm-hmm. as well as the traffic to it off of the major site, and from a real estate standpoint, it got put where it deserves to be put in that standpoint. It has nothing to do with any emphasis on what it is. Yeah, and I'm just an internationalist, so I'm always pushing for more visibility for internationally oriented. Yeah, the real estate issue is well, but it also says that I'm popular as I'd like them to be. So, you know, if they were deserving the real estate, they'd be able to move back up. But it doesn't sound like they're earning their own piece of No, I, I, w- I wouldn't agree with that statement. I, again, I think, again, logistically, we've provided a way for the customer to end up where they need to be, no matter where they land within our, our website space. Mm-hmm. And then, additionally, as, as what Tom was alluding to, the the value of the real estate at the very top, and you can find Google studies on this as well, is, is something where you actually really want to captivate the particularly prospective applicant and to captivate them and show them your offering versus having that uh, piece there and then some promotional items below where their eyes are not drawn to that that part of the the web page. So I mean, you kind of get to your point earlier where you know do I want to be forced to choose? Page I want to see and thinking of the real estate to do that. And, you know, fact is a similar kind of thing. You know, thinking of the space for that kind of purpose. Is that because I was surfing from here in America, or does that have anything to do? Or do you have local exchange information, local company information, currency information, scrolling in different countries and different country websites? So our product offering, for the most part, on well, our product offering on stock and options are U.S. based. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so we're not going to have local exchanges, local companies on the scrolling ticker because we don't offer those products for trade. On the future side, we we uh, we do have international futures, and and so and I think this is probably one of your questions in regards to um, you know are are we planning on adding some of those international products? And, and this, again, one of the things that we are constantly looking at, and all of those things are driven by demand because obviously there's a cost to adding that, and so we need to make certain that there are enough customers that want to trade those products before we engage in that and become a member of this exchange, become a member of that exchange, creating the connectivity to provide those products. And so it's but it's definitely something that we're that we want to do. We just want to make certain we've got the demand and support it. Okay. And it also looks like the prices you charge differ a little bit on a country or regional basis. In other words, you know, it looks like it's twelve ninety five for a certain number of trades here in the States, I think fourteen ninety five in Canada, Australia, Singapore, um, and it looks like you also charge pretty much in U.S. dollars everywhere. 
Um, do you expect that to change, and, and why the premium in the other markets? There's cost of doing business in, in additional markets. There's additional costs of supporting the office and everything else. Well, it sounds like competitive factors. Our frequent trader is called Magnify. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and it's in U.S. dollars because all the products that we offer are in U.S. dollars. Uh-huh. Also, the foreign futures, which... Which trade in the foreign currencies? Okay. Very good. Um, and I know part of your selling point is your price advantage versus your competitors. Does that price advantage pretty much hold up in other places, too? In other words, are people looking for the most cost-effective trader, or it sounds like you also offer a lot of other value-added benefits around your trading platform? We like to believe that. <laughs> we, we, we certainly believe we have a lot of uh, value-added benefits around the platform, and so we're not looking to be the lowest-cost provider in the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe that based on the, the tools that we provide, based on the service that we provide, based on the fact that you can call up one of our brokers and place a trade with them and not be charged an extra fee mm-hmm. versus trading it yourself online, all those things result in, obviously, additional cost to us, but it's, it's one of the reasons why we're also not looking to be the lowest cost provider. You get what you pay for. And so there are other firms that you go to where you can find some lower rates, but you can't call and speak to someone. You can't get a question answered in a reasonable time, those types of things. And so, um, but, but definitely, I, I definitely think that we're extremely competitive abroad. And I think if you look at some of the competitors, you'll see that their prices generally increase um, Quite substantially based on on their other kind of international jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and really, earlier you had mentioned you looked into different localization options, and obviously you're serving the English-speaking markets throughout the world very well. Um, and aside from you know when people say favor instead of favor or you know color instead of color, or whatever. Um, but I'm just curious. There are significant financial markets in Germany. You're not in Germany yet. Um, you know, Japan has a huge market. Um, you know, some Japanese. What are your plans for localization into other languages in the future, and how do you plan to do that? In other words, do those kinds of things internally, farm them out. What are your plans? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question. I, I mean, it, it, again, it's it's a lot about demand. Uh, there's definitely a, a, a large cost to translating and being able to upkeep the, the translations. We, I, I think we average about 10 releases a year. And so, obviously, it's 10 software releases a year, which would mean that each one of those releases would have to be vetted and made certain that, you know, we had accurate translations and everything else. In addition to that, because of the the core of our product being U.S.-based, I don't think that there is as much a need for the translation at this point. When we start talking about connecting to some of the other foreign exchanges, I think at that point we certainly need to to really have a, a serious plan for translation because now we're talking about the local products, and if we're talking about a German product, 
and we want to connect to German exchange or we want to do further penetration into Germany, we'll want to have those translations. And so some of the kind of initial steps that we looked at in the interim before we kind of do all-out translations have been um, kind of foreign language search engine optimization, those types of things, foreign language landing pages that that promote the site in the local language, and then at the bottom, you know, has a click here for further information, please be aware that everything else is in English, but those types of things allow us to get some tracking and, and metrics in, in regards to how popular those pages are, how many people are clicking on those pages to find out information or just landing on it to then suggest to us, okay, now we should be looking at this language and this language and looking to expand it further. And I might be asking for proprietary information here, but I mean, I assume that you track foreign-speaking customers who come here in this site. In other words, we can track some of those things based on language preferences within browsers, mm -hmm. but but it's it's not something that uh, it's not something that we can can see that readily because obviously again website is in English they're filling out the paperwork in English and so we don't ask you know what's your language of preference or anything like that to find out. So okay, because everything comes back to uh, residents location address, you know, you've got to know how many customers you have in Germany, and so... Right, we, we know how many customers we have in Germany, but all of those customers in Germany filled out in the English application. Sure, so. sure. But it's just it's difficult to get gather the scope of the opportunity, how many additional customers you could get if you were in Germany. It is difficult. It is, it is difficult. And I think that's the balance that most companies, as they're expanding globally, are faced with. You know, what's the right timing to then go ahead and make these, these um, investments in, in further localization so that they can have further and deeper penetration in that market? Okay. Good. I tried to be as thorough and comprehensive as I could be in putting together questions about options to express international activity. Have I missed anything? Is there anything else that's important for readers and listeners to know about what options to express is doing internationally? That we are fully committed to expanding internationally and growing that business, and uh, we, we've got some exciting things that are coming in, in 2009, and I hope everyone opens an account. Sounds good. Tom, anything from you, or... Um, I pretty much have the same comments that, that Rumi has, and that has, and that is that um, we are trying to change our offering as the times change, and it, everything changes so quickly that we just have to make sure that we do the best job we can for our customers. I think, you know, before that I was going to say something about um, when he was talking, when you were talking about translating the site into German, and there's so many thousands of pages that you would have to, the one, translate the first time, and then make sure every time they make a change in a release that it actually got translated properly. But there are some concepts that we're looking at where in some place on the site that we believe to be a very important place on the site, that as you do a mouse over, perhaps something can pop up and it can be in that particular language, language, so that, you know, at least it would give some idea of exactly what it is that that part of the site is all about. 
but at the same time, it wouldn't take that much out of people to go on. And there are systems out there, the global information management system, which can manage all the changes and so on. They're not cheap, but they're available. So, so we've looked at those. We've looked at all that to a number of Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for your input today. Thank you for coming.